Hello, music teacher friends. This is episode number 52 of the Beyond Measure podcast, and I am Christina Whitlock, your anytime piano teacher friend. Today, we are building off last week's episode, and we are getting down to brass tacks on how to keep positive, productive lessons even when your student shows up without having practiced very much that week. Before we dive in too far, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that if you are listening to this podcast in real time, yes, the holiday season is looming ahead. I am not planning any specific holiday-themed episodes this year, but I wanted to remind you that I did release two holiday-related episodes last year. So if you are looking for ideas as to how you can shake things up this holiday season, please jump back into the archives and look for episodes number 9 and 10 Those are titled Cheers to Holiday Reconsiderations, Parts 1 and 2. One request I have already received a lot of this year is for my December Performance Challenge printable. And this is just a super simple document that I use to implement an easy challenge for the month of December. So I will pop a link to that document in the show notes for this episode, but if you have any trouble finding it whatsoever, please just message me on social media or send an email to beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com. Okay, on with the show. If you have not yet listened to last week's episode on my practice manifesto, you may want to jump back and soak that one in first. As a basic recap, I made a bold claim that we, as teachers, do not have to take it personally when our students aren't practicing. I also dared to suggest that music lessons can still benefit those students who are in seasons of overcommitment and who, therefore, struggle to find substantial practice time. So, while practice time is obviously a cornerstone for high-achieving musicianship, I also promised that I was going to open this episode with the single most controversial statement I've ever made on the podcast. Are you ready for it? (laughs) Gather up your tomatoes and be prepared to throw them at me, my friends. I kind of can't believe I'm saying this out loud, (laughs) but 26 years of private piano teaching has led me to conclude this. I think that students can make progress even when they don't practice. (laughs) In fact, I don't think, I know that my students, even those who are in seasons where practice time is harder to come by, all of them are making progress. They are gaining new skills in their lessons, and they are understanding how their instrument works better. And they are here making music at least once a week with me. And contrary to what I hear other teachers say, I don't feel like I am just repeating the last week's lesson. 
and I don't feel like I'm just supervising practice time. And I don't feel personally offended as though their lack of practice is somehow meant as an act of defiance or disrespect towards me. I don't have students who are purposely trying to waste my time, and I doubt you do either, for the record. It's just so interesting to me because I didn't set out to form this like radical philosophy on practice. But after many years of working successfully with adult students and busy teenagers, I have come to realize that there is a reason my students stay when so many of my colleagues report losing theirs. So here's that controversial statement again. (laughs) I do believe students can make progress during those seasons. My adult students prove it to me all the time. And I know many of you have sworn off adult students because of their lack of practice habits. I know, (laughs) but I've got to tell you, I have found a better way. All I can say is, again, I believe the power of a little time at the piano each week is infinitely better than no time at the piano each week. (laughs) And listen up, because this is really important. I care about being part of that journey for my students. It's actually a very fulfilling part of my teaching. Knowing that I am helping students experience any of the benefits of music making And knowing I am setting them up to appreciate and reflect positively on their experience as musicians, that really matters to me. And I don't think it matters to everyone, and that's totally fine, because like I said last week, if you decide to hold different standards in your studio, then props to you for figuring out what works in your life. So maybe it helps to say this. Students and families sign on to lessons with me with very clear expectations of daily practice. It's not something I tiptoe around. (laughs) So weak practice habits are not something I generally see from a student for the entire duration of study. But once I'm attached to these students, which for me happens pretty much instantaneously at (laughs) sign-on, I feel a deep sense of commitment to their musical success. So when I have an established student whose swimming season is kicking their tail (laughs) or who is really distracted by social dynamics at school for a while, I mean, I just don't mind working outside the box with them. I think I really first started contemplating this about 10 years ago. I had a student at the time that was in his 11th year of study with me, and he had been a terrific student the whole duration. He had accomplished so much over the course of our time together. But as is quite common, his senior year was a flurry of all kinds of other activities, and his piano practice time really took a nosedive. There were many weeks where I wondered why he was even still taking lessons, or if I should talk to his parents and tell them it was time to wrap up. But, again, it occurred to me, would I rather have him in lessons each week 
solidifying those concepts that he had learned the past 11 years and giving me an opportunity to keep cheering him on and celebrating all of those accomplishments this year? Or was his lack of practice time going to be a deal breaker? Well, you can guess what I chose. (laughs) His senior year was filled with repertoire that he could handle pretty easily, but we did learn a lot of it. We played a lot of chords and studied a lot of progressions. (laughs) Sometimes he would get motivated and practice more at home, but for the bulk of his senior year, I would say that the most time he spent at the piano that season was in his lessons. And I decided I was here for it. When he graduated and moved away, his mom and I cried buckets of tears together. He wrote me the loveliest thank you letter. We had all those senior year feels that we all love so much. That experience provided me with a beautiful perspective that yes, it was indeed still worth it. And I've had many similar experiences since. There is a hugely important factor here that we have to discuss, and that is expectation. So when I shift to more of a, we'll call it a lateral progression of repertoire for a student like this, it is very important that your student and their parents are on the same page as you. Do you want to know where this approach goes completely off the rails? (laughs) It's when you have a student whose parent expects them to be a state competition winner, (laughs) or when the student himself expects to be the strongest player in school. It's true that students can progress even without much practice through the week, but it's incredibly important for all parties involved to understand that that practice and that progress is going to be slow. (laughs) That relationship between practice and progress, of course, cannot be denied. And if you want to protect your own reputation as a teacher, you have to make sure that you are consistently touching base with parents and students and letting them know what you're seeing and what you're not seeing regarding practice time. So if end goals and practice time are not lining up in a reasonable way, then that's something you need to address. If slow progress is agreeable on all sides, well then, carry on. (laughs) So the question is upon us. How on earth can we have a successful lesson if our student shows up without any practice? Well, first, we have to consider the structure of our lesson. I believe that many, many teachers have settled into a pattern of teaching that could benefit from a little shakeup. <laughs> a decade ago, I was absolutely in the same camp. My general approach to piano teaching was this. Student enters, we chit-chat for a brief moment about how their week was, and then we start working down their assignment sheet. (laughs) You know, I choose a scale from their list of assigned scales. They play it, we talk about what was great, then ways to improve it, and we move on. (laughs) Then I choose a piece from their list of assigned pieces. They play it, we talk about what was great, 
then ways to improve it, and then we move on. And then I choose another piece from their list of assigned pieces, and that process repeats until their lesson is over. Oh, and maybe there's a theory assignment thrown in there somewhere, right? <laughs> oh, and yeah, any time we have left over is spent looking at new material for the week. Well, <laughs> that last part is the kicker, right? <laughs> I think we have all had the experience where we end up spending so much of the lesson working through previously assigned work that we seriously shortchange ourselves out of necessary time to introduce the new concepts for the week. So then we're left with no choice but to throw a smile on our faces and say, well, try your best on it this week, and send them on their way, knowing fully well that we're going to have a lot of explaining to do the next week. Am I right? <laughs> Yikes. I know that back in the day, the absolute worst the worst was when I leaned heavily on teaching through particular method series. And with like five minutes left in the lesson, I would turn the page and realize it was time to introduce the entire grand staff, right? There's just no way to do that justice in five minutes. And that makes for some very panicked teaching right there, my friends. So I digress. The idea of working yourself down a student's assignment sheet throughout the lesson is one way to structure a lesson. I would venture to guess that you're pretty familiar with that setup in one way or another. There are plenty of fine aspects to that. My concern is this. That setup leans so heavily on the expectation that students are going to practice and they are going to make big improvements to their pieces before I see them again next week. And as we all know, that is just not always the case. How many times have our fellow teachers complained to one another about students who don't practice? I hear colleagues say all the time, what do they expect me to do with them when they haven't even practiced? And I mean, sure, it's frustrating. And it's certainly not an ideal use of our lesson time. But I don't think it has to sour the entire lesson. Our understanding of our instrument and our ability to convey next steps should not depend on how a student spent their time that week. Quite simply, you do not have to structure your lessons completely around the pieces a student was supposed to practice for that week. Personally, I aim for about one-fourth or maybe even one-third of my lesson time to be focused on skill building outside of assigned repertoire. I believe that as quality educators, we should all be equipped with collections of activities and ideas that are focused on the various skills necessary to play our instruments. And these don't have to be like last resort options. Rather, I think we should aim to drill these skills independent of repertoire on a pretty regular basis. So, whether it's rhythm or landmark notes or articulations or theory or aural skills, technique builders, I don't know, whatever you can come up with. 
I strongly suggest that you find a way to make these a regular component of your teaching. Does that mean students are going to get through every assigned piece every week? No, (laughs) definitely not. But my students know that this is the case ahead of time. Does it mean I have to be incredibly judicious in choosing what to work on in any given lesson? Of course it does. (laughs) At nearly every stage of study, I believe there is always something that we can work on in the lesson to help students understand big picture concepts. This is fueled largely by my desire for students to have experience with concepts long before they encounter them in their method books or other repertoire. So, in short, if you are prepared with activities that are designed specific to your student's level of study, this takes a ton of pressure off whether or not they have practiced that week. And it's not like I'm telling them, I see you haven't practiced that week. Let's just play games instead. (laughs) Of course, I'm not trying to reward the lack of practice time. I'm just setting a precedent that we have learning to do either way. Susie can make progress today in her understanding of the primary chords in the key of G major, even if she hasn't practiced enough to stop missing the F sharps in her assigned minuet for the week. I'll give you a for instance, throwing back to that panic of introducing the grand staff I mentioned earlier. Here's the thing. Can I still assign students pre-reading and rote pieces while also taking two or three minutes of their lesson time to drill some basic understanding of how notes move on the staff by lines and spaces? Uh, You bet I can. And I do. Quite effectively, I might add. (laughs) So, by the time my student encounters the grand staff in their literature or their method book or whatever, they are already well acclimated to how that works. It helps them feel not threatened. It helps them feel confident with that new material they are seeing in their book. And it saves me from having to spend 20 minutes cramming it in, ineffectively, mind you, into one single lesson. That is just one very small example, but I think it speaks to the fact that there is always more that we can work on with our students than what is presented to them in their books for the given week. As teachers, method books can provide a very helpful framework. I mean, it's much appreciated, but especially for those of us who have been at this a while, we should also know plenty well that they are only a guide. Finally, if your student is consistently not practicing, like for an extended season of time, is it really the worst thing in the world to give them a supplemental book of repertoire that is on the easier side for them? Like pieces that can get pulled together during the lesson time? Is learning smaller pieces better than your piano teacher kicking you out of the studio and telling you not to come back until you decide to practice? (laughs) You can probably decide where I stand on that question. Oh, I just have way too much to say on this topic, friends. (laughs) So I am sorry for keeping you a little long today. Basically, 
I just think there's room for improvement in our approach to teaching if all we do is work through the assignments that a student brings us each week. This is one of the reasons I feel so strongly about writing student evaluations multiple times per year. You know, sitting down and planning goals for your students next few months is a really great way to consider and plan for what types of skills really need your attention this season. And now, let's end with a quick toast to send you off for the week. Music teacher friends all over the world. (laughs) Today, we accept that our job as educators should never be as easy as just turning the page to the next lesson. If we are truly providing a premium experience for our students, they deserve to know what we know about our instrument, rather than leaning so heavily on the material written in front of us. Showing our students that we are here for them, regardless of what life has thrown at them that week, well, that is so important in building a healthy student-teacher relationship. So, look, none of this is the easy way, but it's worth it, my friends. And for that, I raise my glass to you. (laughs) Here, here. Okay, my apologies again for keeping you a little longer than usual today. Believe it or not, I cut out pages of material for this episode and apparently I should have cut a little bit more. (laughs) So in case you are wishing that we could dissect some more specifics, I want you to know that I do offer consultations with other teachers. So if you ever feel like you would like to have a virtual meeting to discuss anything that you've heard here today or on the podcast in general, please don't hesitate to email me at beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can find me on socials at beyondmeasurepodcast. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to my December Performance Challenge printable. I really think that you could enjoy it. Um, And in the meantime, let's just go forth and work hard, rest well, and be nice, my friends. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for being here. Sending much love to all of you. (laughs) Talk with you soon.